Welcome to the Lingostown Life Podcast, where our community seeks to love God and love others. Here you'll find timely teachings, important conversations, and encouraging devotionals to improve your life and help you deepen your faith. In this sermon, Pastor Rachel preaches about giving and why it's important. This sermon was originally preached at Lingostown Life on November 12th, 2023. In his book, The Genius of Generosity, author Chip Ingram talks about a man named John who was a member of the first church that he pastored in rural Texas near Dallas, and he was in a congregation of about 35 members. Chip was in his late 20s when they met as this being his first pastorate, and John was in his mid-70s, so a 50-year difference. And John had come to know Christ later in life, but he was very successful, and he owned an accounting firm in Dallas. And their relationship changed when John invited Chip to have lunch at an expensive restaurant at his firm. At lunch, John told Chip to order the filet because, according to John, they had the best steak in town. And he pulled out this small white box, which had enclosed inside of it a brown checkbook. And on the front read the words, Pastor's Discretionary Fund. And the deposit ledger in the back had $5,000 printed on the far right bottom corner. John told Chip that he had a desire to help poor and hurting people. And since Chip was in contact with poor and hurting people daily, he wanted Chip to be his eyes and his ears and to help them as God led them. And so Chip was tasked to be a part of this secret pact and to use that $5,000 to help people in the way that John would if John saw the situation. So Chip writes about how he was overwhelmed at first. I mean, that's a lot of pressure, right, to decide how you're going to spend $5,000. He didn't want to give it to the wrong people or for the wrong reasons, and he struggled to figure out how much that he should give in each situation. He didn't know which cases were legitimate, and he didn't know um, which ones weren't caused um, by other things, and it was a lot of pressure. But over time, he says that it became easier and that it became fun. Every day, he put his wallet in one pocket, and he put the checkbook in the other, and he wondered who God would bring to him that God would want him to help with John's money. And Chip says it was an exciting adventure. Well, now we are nearing the end of our current worship series in which we're unpacking five practices that we believe are essential in our walk with Jesus, practices that we believe redefine our life. Uh, So we're going to end it next week, but so far, um, in the first week, we talked about worship and the ways that we are called to carve out time to spend with God. And on that week, um, we gave you all this little card. There's more in the back if you didn't get one, because there's a challenge on the card for each practice that we're going through. And so uh, the first week under worship, the challenge is to pray, giving thanks five times a day. And I wasn't there that week, and I heard that Pastor Jason, who preached for me, challenged you to pray seven times a day. So if you have met that challenge, I want to know. Um, He upped the ante on me. Um, But then the second week, we shared about serving, and we did some service projects with one another, and you were challenged to serve pursuing five acts of kindness a day. 
And then last week, we talked about growing through reading and studying the Bible, and you were challenged to read at least five verses of Scripture a day, and we gave you some practices on how to do that. But today, we turn to the practice of financial generosity, of giving our resources. And Pastor Adam Hamilton, who is a United Methodist pastor uh, in Kansas City, he describes generosity in a way that I think is, is really good. He says, Kindness is love in action. Generosity is love that's taken over our pocketbook. It's looking at our resources and saying, how can I love with my resources? Now, it can be an exciting adventure when we ask ourselves that question. And it can also be difficult because it can sometimes turn our worldview upside down. So today we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 6 of that Gospel. And if you have a Bible app on your phone, you're invited to get that out and to follow along. If you don't, it's okay. We'll be showing things up on the screen. But this, uh, this book of the Bible is in a place uh, known as Jesus' Sermon on the Plain or Level Place. And Jesus is speaking to a very large crowd, many of whom he has just healed, and the words that he shares certainly turn the listeners' worlds upside down. But before you read, um, I invite you to look uh, just back a little bit if you're looking at it with, with a Bible app. Jesus does a lot in this one chapter. We're only going to skim the surface, but in the beginning he chooses the disciples, and then he comes to this level place and he starts healing all of the people that have gathered. And this is what we read in verse 19. Luke writes, all of the crowd, all, all in the crowd, were trying to touch him, for power came out from him and healed all of them. So in Jesus' words that follow, we come to find that all the power that flows from Jesus will bring about a very different kind of world. And this is how Jesus describes that world. This is verses 27 through 38. But I say to you that listen, love your enemies do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good, and lend expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. Oh, right? Oh. Jesus' first imperative in this 
is love. And that's something that we're not surprised by. We know that God is love. Jesus talked about love a lot, right? But he takes it one step further. He just doesn't say to love. He says something that surprises the first leaders and maybe us as well. Love your enemies. And Jesus then backs it up with some pretty concrete examples. Do good even to those who don't do good to you. Pray for those who want to harm you. Give to anyone who begs from you. And do to others as you would have them do to you. But he sums it all up then in 36 that I want to read again. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Now, I want to dig a little bit deeper. We read this and this is some pretty high stuff that Jesus is calling us to do. Jesus is saying that if you want to follow me, be merciful and be generous beyond comprehension or expectation. Jesus talks about how sinners still love and lend and do good, but God calls us to one step further. The loving and the lending and the doing good in Christ's way doesn't draw boundaries on the response of the recipient. And that's what I think is so difficult about generosity. If we read this list, we, and if we really understand what Jesus is throwing down, we might have some questions to ask in protest. And sometimes if there are parts of scripture that I have a lot of trouble with, I'm not afraid to ask God questions in response. And so these are some questions that I came up with. If I love my enemy, and if I let my guard down then the enemy is going to win. And what would that mean for my family and my well-being? And if I give my coat away, well, then what happens if I'm cold? Or worse, how can I pass it on to my child who might be cold? And if I lend money to someone who has no job or prospect for paying me back, then how will I support myself in retirement? Or if I turn the other cheek after being struck, how bad will I be wounded? And will I lose my position in society because of that kind of shame? But if we were to say these things to Jesus, we'd find an answer pretty quickly. He gives it to us right here. He says, your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. Give and it will be given to you a good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put in your lap, for the measure you give will be the measure you get back. Now, I want to be clear on something here. Often, this scripture can be used to back up a theology that we don't believe in in our denomination, known as the prosperity gospel, And you may have heard some televangelists, not all of them, but some speak in that way, saying that if you give to their ministry or their church, then God will just give you an abundance of wealth. And I am here to tell you that if you give to our church, God isn't going to give you an abundance of wealth. (laughs) But Jesus isn't saying that you're going to get money back from what you give to the church, but he is saying that there is something about giving that blesses the giver. This love that Jesus is talking about is so radical because it's not conditioned upon the other person's behavior. It's motivated and empowered by the giver, not the receiver. 
And so we were created to be generous and for generosity to be a regular habit in our life. Generosity gives us a sense of joy and meaning and purpose. And there have actually been studies done on this. Uh, I read this. I'm not a psychologist or someone who knows a lot about our brain. But in the studies that I read, I read that giving diminishes the amount of brain activity in our amygdala. And the amygdala is where all of our worry and fight or flight activity happens. So when we're worried about something or when we're attacked and want to know how to respond, when those things that keep us up at night happen, our amygdala is just very active and, and running, running, running. And so giving diminishes the activity there. It triggers the pleasure center of the brain. Studies have shown that those who are generous then have lower anxiety, better self-esteem, their blood pressure goes down, long-term health is better overall when we give. Now, I think we all know this because we are a very generous church. When we call for donations for certain projects or for causes in our community, you all show up for it. You love to serve and you love to give to the needs of our community. When I came, we were taking up a collection to refurbish the bells. That was paid in full with shiny bells to boot. When we wanted to uh, do some more improvements in our nursery that is flooded with babies, we took to the challenge and got that done very quickly. Right now, we're collecting peanut butter and jelly for NutriPacks that feeds families in Central Dolphin School District, because uh, that's always a high need, and that bin is filled with jars of peanut butter and jelly. There's going to be a lot of sandwiches feeding families very soon. And we're collecting stuffing right now for Bethesda Mission, and we have a goal of 500 boxes, and we're going to do it. That box is overflowing right now and was overflowing last week. Uh, it's amazing. You all love our community and love to give. You give because it makes you feel good. But here are some other things that financial giving does. It helps individuals grow spiritually. In his series on developing spiritual maturity, Pastor Rick Warren says the following. He says, we easily miss the spiritual growth significance of giving money. We need to give the first part of our day in meditation to God. And we need to give the first part of our week in worship to God. We need to give the first part of our income to God. And we need to give the first part of our social life in fellowship with other Christians. And each of these four kinds of giving keeps our mental compass focused in God's direction. But to remove any of them, even just one of them, and spiritual growth slows. We grow spiritually because we stretch ourselves when we give. And it's so risky. Jesus tells us to give without expecting anything in return because he knows that we might get worried if we might not have enough left over if we give a certain percentage of what we earn. Now, each year uh, when it gets to this time of the year in the church season and we send these cards out, Richie and I sit down with this card and we take a look at what our projected income will be for 2024 and then we look at what 10% of that income will be. And then we take a look at how much we gave in the last year, and we see if we can increase that just a little bit. 
Now, it's a process that's bathed in prayer, and this card in particular doesn't just have giving on it. It's also asking you to make a covenant with God to attend worship, to grow spiritually, to serve in a ministry, and to share your faith. And all of those things might be pretty easy for you. I know those things are pretty easy for me. But that last one is hard, giving financially. It's difficult because it's a risk. And it's hard to write that number down, especially in the climate of our world, because there are so many unknowns. We don't know what the future holds or what might happen with us financially. Um, but every time we write that number down, and every time we give in full what that number is, God provides. 100% God provides for all that we need. Maybe not all that we want, but all that we need, God provides in abundance. And we love the opportunity that giving financially does to help us to partner with God in the ministries of the church. This is our home now. We are in it for the long haul with all of you. We hope the bishops will feel the same way. <laughs> but this is our home, and when we trust God with what we have personally, it helps us to grow closer with God, knowing that giving financially is just as much a part of our spiritual growth as praying or worshiping or serving. It's all, this is just another piece of the pie. And so I invite you to pray with me, with Richie and I this week, as you consider what you might covenant to do with God through this church on this card. Um, and you're not writing this card in blood. Um, it's not like we're going to call you if you don't meet what's written on here. There are circumstances that change. Richie and I weren't able to keep the financial commitment that we made to our last church a year ago because we moved. And that happens. Things happen. Um, and perhaps... You've never committed to giving anything before, um, and this might be very new to you. And if that's the case, we invite you to just start with a, a low percentage of your income and see how God provides you in that percentage that you trust to God. Just see what happens. Now, you might also say that you have a practice of giving anyway, and so writing it on a card doesn't matter. And you're absolutely right. If we had this card or not, Richie and I would still give every week. But it helps us, honestly, as we plan for the next year. Um, it helps us to know what we can do and what God might be calling us to do with how much we can project to receive. But it's so much more a benefit to you. In writing this card, you hold yourself accountable to how you want to grow in your faith. I've never seen this on a card before, but I went off of what y'all did last year and, and you've done for a few years now is that you've had two parts to this card. So you write things down twice and then you keep a portion of it for yourself. And I think that's so ingenious. Um, you could keep this second portion and maybe put it on your nightstand or maybe put it on your desk. And what I invite you to do is to use it as a reminder and to think about all the ways that God has blessed you through this covenant that you have made with God. Think about the ways that you've been blessed by following this covenant with God. So the first thing that giving does is it helps us grow spiritually, but here's the second thing that giving does. It enables the church to do what God calls us to do. 
Now, I could stand here and I could tell you all of the things that your money goes to in our church. Um, and I'm going to share a little bit about that in the family meeting after this service so you can stick around um, if you'd like. Uh, and we will soon be, be finishing our budget for 2024, and I'd be happy to share that with you. If, if you personally want to see line by line what's on that, that is all available to you when we finished. Um, but there's something that the church can often forget, especially church leaders like myself. There is nowhere in the Bible that instructs us to give to the church budget. Nowhere. There's a lot written about money and about generosity in the Bible, but nowhere does Jesus or anyone says, give so that we can fulfill our church budget this year. So I'm not asking you to give for that reason. Our giving is an amazing privilege that we have to partner with God in what God is doing right here at Lingolstown Life and around the world. And God has given that privilege especially to us. So do you remember that story about Chip and John that I shared in the beginning? Chip writes about how there were three things that he learned as a result of their deal together. The first is that he thought about John nearly every day whenever he encountered someone that was in need. He also learned how to balance a checkbook as a 20-something-year-old because uh, he wanted to be a good steward of John's finances. And then he also became great friends with John. This is my favorite part. Every three or four months, John would invite Chip to come back to the very expensive restaurant that was at his accountant firm, and he would tell him to order the filet with the lobster, and they would celebrate. And Chip would tell John about all that he had used that $5,000 for to help a family pay medical bills, or a teenager with an unexpected pregnancy, or an unemployed family. And then he said that John would utter an uncomfortably loud, praise the Lord, right in the middle of the restaurant. And then with a twinkle in his eye, he'd say, let's do it again. Let's do it again. And he would fill up the discretionary amount one more time, and the cycle would start over again. And it was one of the wildest experiences that Chip ever had in his life. But friends, our relationship with God is the same way. When we manage the resources that God has given to us, no matter how much it is, we're constantly thinking about God every day and how God wants us to treat others that we encounter with a need. Managing God's resources means managing our own finances, just like Chip learned how to balance a checkbook it means living within our needs and spending and saving and giving well. And when we manage God's resources, it also means that we become great friends with God because we get to celebrate all that God does when we partner with God to love others just as Christ has loved us. It is more blessed to give than to receive. We were made to be generous and the greatest joy comes from giving. And when the rhythm of our lives is like that, we walk closer with God. May that be so. I invite you to pray with me.
Thank you for joining us on the Linguistown Life Podcast. If this message was meaningful to you, we hope you will leave a review and share it with others. If you want to know more about our church or would like to attend a service or community event, find out more on www.lingostownlife.org. God bless you, and may you go forth and love God and love others.